Now, um, I don't have a joke for you, which if any of you sat through my Sunday school class, you realize that's something I usually start with, but anyway, I won't. But I got to tell you, I got to hand it to you folks, you who are here and you who are online, most of you knew we were going to talk about stewardship today, and you came anyway. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Here's the payoff pitch, though. We're not going to talk about money. This is not about money. I think I will mention the money, word money once in, the, in this sermon because it's in the Bible. It's not my word. So you can rest assured we're not going to talk about money. But here's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to tell you a little story. This is a true story. I didn't make this one up. It's about a nine-year-old boy from Tennessee. He lived in a kind of a rural town where there are a number of churches, and one of those churches has something called a bus ministry, a bus ministry. Anybody here ever hear of a bus ministry? Ah, a number of you have, particularly those of you from the South. <laughs> a bus ministry is where a bus goes around and picks up kids, takes them to church on Sunday. This church even had someone they called a bus pastor. Cool. Well, that person's job was to go out on Saturday mornings and arrange for who he would pick up. So one day he knocked on this door that he had never knocked on before, kind of in a rundown part of town, and a nine-year-old boy answered the door. And the pastor asked him, are your parents here? Could I speak with them? And he said, no, my parents go away on weekends. They leave me to take care of my little brother. Oh, well, can I come in and just talk with you for a moment? And, and the boy said, sure. So he came in, went into the living room, sat down on this pretty dilapidated couch, and he asked the boy, when was the last time you were in church? And the boy said, I ain't never been in church. He said, are you sure? Church is just down the road a bit. And he said, nope, I've never been in church. So the pastor said, look, would you like to learn or hear about the greatest love story ever told? The story of Jesus. And he said, sure. So right then the pastor spoke the gospel to him, told him all about Jesus and all he had done on the cross for us. And when he got done, he asked the boy, would you like to receive a gift, that gift of salvation that comes from believing in Jesus? And he said, sure. So right then and there, they kneeled on the living room floor right in front of that musty couch. And the boy prayed to receive Christ. And that day he became a born-again believer. The pastor said, I'm going to go now, and tomorrow morning I want to pick you up with you and your brother. I'll take you to church. He said, great, good. See you then. The pastor comes back the next morning, knocks on the door. No answer. Knocks on the door again. No answer. But he notices the door slightly ajar. So he decided he's going to venture in because he knows the kids are alone. So he goes in, and there are the kids asleep in their bed. So he wakes them up and said, come on, guys, we got to get dressed, get you to church. Said, okay, they all got dressed, got on the bus. They had donuts on the way, believe it or not. They got to church, and the two boys kind of sat towards the back. Now, maybe it was a room similar to this. I don't know. But they were kind of sitting towards the back, just watching. They didn't know what was going on because they've never been to church. But the nine-year-old boy remembered what he had done the day before. He knew about Jesus. Well, partway through the service, 
these men get up and walk up to the front and they pick up these great big wooden plates and somebody prays. Then they start to get down the aisles and pass the plates back and forth. You know what they're doing. Finally, the little boy caught on and he realized that people were giving money to Jesus in that plate. That made him pretty sad because he had no money. So he passed the plate when it came to him and it came on by. And then the ushers stood in the back with those plates. The boy got up immediately. He went to the back and asked the usher, can I hold one of those plates? And he said, sure. He put the plate down on the floor. Then he stepped into it. And he said, Jesus, I don't have any money. I give you me. That's stewardship. That's stewardship. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I want to look a little more closely at what stewardship is and what stewardship is not. That word stewardship is used by lots and lots and lots of people in many different ways. Of course, you know when it's talked about in church, people are talking about what? Most people think it's money. It isn't going to be here. But environmentalists are very fond now of talking about stewardship. Did you know there is something called the Warren Knowles Gaylord Nelson Stewardship Program? Who knew? It's a thing. It's a thing. I'm sure they do very fine work, too. It can often be applied in fields like economics, information, even cultural resources. Stewardship. What does Wikipedia say about stewardship? Well, let me read to you. Wikipedia says, stewardship is an ethic that embodies the responsible planning and management of resources. A little bland, but there it is. Merriam-Webster says it's the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Okay, that's not bad. Not bad. We're getting there. But how does the Bible define stewardship? Stewardship. I think it's the responsibility to manage all of God's blessings for God's honor and glory. If you look back in the Bible and you look at stories about stewards in the Bible, they were household servants. These people managed everything for the master of the house on his behalf. They did delegating. They did disciplining. They did encouraging. But most of all, they were accountable to the master. They were accountable to the master. You see, you have to understand that stewardship is managing God's blessings for God's glory. That's really what we see in the Bible over and over and over again. But the key issue for you and me today is what are God's blessings? What are God's blessings? What are we supposed to manage and how are we supposed to do that? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about stewardship, believe me, a lot. The Bible talks about stewardship dozens and dozens and even hundreds of times. Everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Would you believe that? Well, I'm going to show you. Here it is in Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man and woman, and what did he do next? He gave them a job. What's the job he gave them? Dominion, stewardship, stewardship, very first thing. Remember I told you about accountability. There's going to be an audit. Here's the payoff pitch, Revelation 22. This is Jesus talking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, stewardship is all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible. It's not a single issue. Now, there are three obvious points that you have to remember about this. They're the easy ones to remember. Number one, it all belongs to God. Number two, we're called to be his stewards. Number three, there will be an audit. There will be an audit, okay? Those are the three points you want to remember. In our society, however, there's a disconnect. That disconnect is we think we're, we're owners. We think we're owners. If we take that approach, stewardship doesn't matter anymore, does it? There's no stewardship. All we're doing is taking care of our own stuff. We're our own stewards of our own stuff. That's not the way the Bible portrays it at all. Jesus taught his disciples about stewardship in this passage that you see in your bulletin. And I'm going to read it today, but we're not going to put it up on the screen because it's pretty lengthy. This is something I want you to remember as we go through this morning. This is Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has, not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant 
into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're not going to study that passage in detail. We could, and I'd love to preach through it exegetically, but we're not going to do that. But I want you to keep it in mind because we're going to keep going back to it, keep going back to it, keep going back to it, the parable of the talents. This is actually part of Jesus' teaching, which is a little bigger section in the Bible there, that Jesus is teaching how his disciples are supposed to live as they wait for him to return, to come back. Well, since you and I are in the same position, we're waiting for Jesus to return. We probably have this in mind too, shouldn't we? Now, all of Jesus's, all the teaching today is going to come directly from Jesus. These are not my words. If you have any argument with these words, talk to Jesus about it. Don't talk to me because they're in here. All I'm doing is reminding. That's what God has laid on my heart, and I have the privilege of sharing it with you today. So what's the big idea here? Being a careful steward is all about relationships. It's a matter of the heart. A matter of the heart. I believe that's why it's in the first chapter of Genesis and the last chapter of Revelation. We're going to talk about that today. Now, you probably got the idea of stewardship pretty well by now. You understand what we're talking about here, taking care of stuff, responsibilities. But I think we need a better idea of what all of God's blessings are. That's where we may fall down. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Now, I want to start our thinking out by quoting a 17th century French archbishop, Francois Fenelon. I know, I study old guys, sorry. That's, that's one of the things I do, and I love it. I love to do it, and believe me, you would profit by doing it too. This man was interesting, because as an archbishop, he was criticized by Pope Innocent XII for being, quote, having loved God too much and man too little. Whoa, whoa, are you kidding he was actually banished by Louis XIV and forced to become a local pastor. And as a local pastor, he earned the reputation of being the ideal pastor. Let's read what Francois Fenelon wrote. God has little patience with those weak souls who say to themselves, I shall go this far and no farther. Is it up to the creature to make the law for his creator? What would a king say of a subject or a master of a servant who only served him in his own way, who feared to care too much for his interests, and who was embarrassed in public because of belonging to him? What would the king of kings say to us if we act like these cowardly servants? You see, Jesus' stewardship orders to us revolved around what's important to God, what's important to Jesus. Now, you might remember, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe there was a popular saying, we used to wear it around our wrists and things, what would Jesus do? When it comes to stewardship, that's not a bad thought at all. That's not a bad thought at all when you face a stewardship decision of some sort. What would Jesus do? I believe there are three areas of responsibility, three areas of responsibility that we have to being good stewards of all of God's blessings. 
First is our relationship with God. Have you ever thought about stewarding your relationship with God? Stewarding? Oh, some of you have, I'm sure. Maybe not all. That's going to look at a little bit here. Jesus tells us the importance of it in Matthew, Matthew 22. He was asked, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first, first commandment. Now, if anyone here today or anyone online does not have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this can be settled. Only a few minutes is what it takes. It leads you into a lifestyle, but it only takes a few minutes. I summarize it as A, B, C, and I'm going to go over it briefly. A, admit you are a sinner. That's easy. All of us are. That's what the Bible teaches us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Confess those sins to God and ask him for forgiveness. Number two, believe Jesus died on a cross so that our sins could be atoned for. And C, ask Jesus to come into your life and sit on the throne of your life and take control of it. Once you do that, once you do that, you become a born-again disciple of Jesus. Now, it's great. God accepts anybody where they're at, when they're at, anytime. doesn't matter what you've done. You can confess your sins and repent. It doesn't matter how badly you've screwed up. It doesn't matter at all. He will accept you if you come to him. But once you come to him, he does not want you to stay there. He wants you to grow. And that's why we've been going through this discipleship series of preaching. Okay? Now, back to the parable of talents. I want to explain to you what talents means in this biblical sense. There are many commentators who take different views of what talents are. However, it's easiest to say in the Old Testament, talents were generally a weight measure, generally. In the New Testament, generally a monetary description. How much was a talent? Well, in this particular passage, most commentators would say a talent is 20 years' wages for a common laborer. 20 years' wages. Now, you might remember the story where Jesus just before he was to go to the cross, had his head anointed by a woman. She poured costly nard on his head. What did those around him say? Why did he waste so much? This could have been sold for a year's wages and given to the poor. A talent is 20 times that amount. Five talents, a hundred years' wages. We're talking an extravagant, extravagant amount now, what's your salvation worth? If I had 100 years' wages, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't get, want that rather than my salvation. Would you? No. You see, what we've been given is greater than any monetary sum we can imagine. Greater. What do we get when we get salvation? We get Jesus as our Savior. We get eternal life with him when we die. We get all kinds of neat things. We get the Holy Spirit living in us. All kinds of things that we can't buy even. So what we've been given is far greater than the talents those servants were given. 
Now, is this an important part of our relationship with Jesus? Here's another passage that tells you again. This is Matthew 6, 31 to 33. And I'm sure almost every one of these passages is passages you're very familiar with. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I have a confession to make. I've read this passage many, many, many times, dozens and dozens of times, but I got to tell you, many times when I read it, I have to go back and think to myself, okay, whose kingdom am I serving? Am I serving man, mine, or am I serving God's? Maybe that's something you might want to think about too. I don't know. So how then should we manage all this that God has given us in our relationship with him? There's a lot to it. The best starting point is probably the Ten Commandments. The first four of them deal with our relationship with God. You can go back and look at those. You know what they are. To interact with God, we have to spend time with Him. Spend time with Him. If you're going to spend time with God, you probably want to do it in solitude, number one. You probably want to do it as you read His Word also. That's a great way to get to know God better. Also, we need to surrender to him. Surrender to him. Just as Jesus did. Here's what he told us on the night before his crucifixion. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You might even remember when he was on the cross. And he said he could call a legions down to, get it, to rescue him. No, nope. he was doing God's will. We have to trust him if we're surrendering to him. So the question is, do you trust God completely? Also, we have to be holy and pursue holiness because that's the only way we're going to be able to worship a holy God. We could go on and on and on and on. But remember what Francois Fenelon said. Don't tell God, I will go this far and no farther. Don't you dare say that to him. Don't you dare. Not worth it. Okay. Now, back to the parable of talents. What was the wicked servant's attitude towards the master? He said he was a hard man. That means he didn't love his master. He didn't love his master at all. That led him to lazy stewardship. He became a lazy steward. It's just the opposite of what Jesus teaches us and teaches his disciples. It's the opposite of our relationship with God. It can't be lazy. It has to be intentional. Wise stewardship goes hand in hand with a loving relationship with God. Hand in hand. Okay, second stewardship. A relationship with others. Have you ever thought that you had to steward a relationship with others? Now be careful. Who are others? Family, neighbors, friends, co-workers, strangers you stand behind in the grocery store, 
someone you stand behind in traffic, someone who's going 10 miles under the speed limit, and you hate that. You've done that, haven't you? Yeah, I know. We all say, get out of the way, right? Those are all others, every one of them. And what's the starting point for these relationships? Look at the last six points of the Ten Commandments. They're all about interpersonal relationships. They'll give you great guidance as to what you ought to do. But probably, probably, the easiest to remember is something what you and I have called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, 12, right? Okay, that's a good one. But you can also look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 through 7, and the Faithful Living class has just finished a good study with Steve Hess teaching about the Sermon on the Mount. It's a long sermon, longer than this one's going to be, <laughs> and it's very involved, but it teaches a ton about how we're supposed to interact with others, with others. Let me give you an example here. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Isn't that interesting? We have to be careful about how we criticize others. But that's just one example. In that same sermon, Jesus cautions us about getting angry. He tells us to forgive others. And also in that same sermon, he tells us to love our enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I think all of us have probably been disturbed quite a bit with this last pandemic year we've had and with the strife that it's brought into our society. It gives new meaning to think about who are our enemies anyway. But regardless of who they are, Jesus didn't say, love your enemies if you like them. No, he said, love your enemies, all enemies. You see, Jesus calls us to a very high standard of stewardship, a very high standard of stewardship. We're not just supposed to play around at this. There's lots to be done here. Now, throughout the Gospels, you also see Jesus with people. He heals them. He feeds them. He forgives them. Why did he do this? Why? Because he knew his mission. He loved people and knew he was supposed to seek and save the lost. And he wants us to join in that same thing. So he gives us these clear directions in Matthew 28. You know them. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age. Careful stewards must responsibly steward our relationship with others, no matter who they are. Now, Here's the third, stewardship, responsibility. Our relationship to our stuff. This is what you thought I was going to talk about to begin with, wasn't it? However, I want to 
broaden this out a little bit, what's your stuff? Your stuff is things that you are, have, have personally, things you may think you, quote, own, but your stuff is also things we have in common, in community. This church building is a typical example of that. Our stuff is also what's outside, the environment. We have lots of stuff, and we're called to be careful stewards of it all, not just some of it, not just some of it. Now, recall the parable of talents. Did the servants own any of those talents? No. They were all on loan. So is all your stuff and my stuff, every bit of it. It's just on loan. This is on loan too. Outside's on loan too. It's all just on loan to us. Perhaps your most familiar passage in the Sermon on the Mount comes from Jesus when he says, you cannot serve God and, okay, I'm allowed to say it. Remember I told you, money. The ESV translates it as money. Others, others translate it as mammon. Okay, But you can take that out and say anything. You cannot serve both God and whatever. You cannot serve both God and your priceless antique car collection. You cannot serve God and maybe your beautiful vacation home. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. But we have to decide who calls the tune. Who's the boss? Who are you going to take your orders from? Who's going to get most of your time? Who's going to get most of your time? That's what we're talking about here. That's the kind of relationship we're talking about. Now, let's sum up the story of our stuff with a very famous story from Matthew 19 that Jesus is talking about. You're familiar with this one, I'm sure, too. And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Some younger Christians may think that this means we're supposed to sell everything and have nothing. That's not what Jesus is getting at here at all. What he's getting at is putting possessions in front of God in our priority system. That's exactly what he's talking to this young man about. So the point here is that, number one, the man loved his stuff more than he loved God or Jesus, who he was standing right in front of. But there's a second point that perhaps most people gloss over and don't recognize. I'm going to go back two slides and look at this one more time. What does the man say? What must I do to have eternal life? Let's see what Jesus says. If you would be perfect. Do you see the difference? 
the young man was asking him basically the religious question. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? You know, what is it all about here? Making sacrifices, doing this? No, Jesus said you got to be. You got to be. What's he talking about? He's talking about being his disciple, being a good steward, being a good steward. I don't know how Jesus could make it any plainer for us. I don't know at all. God owns it all. We are to be his faithful stewards. Be his faithful stewards. I hope by now that you've seen that our stewardship is all about relationships, and relationships reflect our heart, our heart. That's our fourth point today. Stewardship reflects our heart. Now, I want to go back. This rich young ruler story is also told in Mark 10, but it's got a very interesting change of phrase that I want you to notice. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's the missing ingredient. Love. That's the missing ingredient here all along. Remember the parable of talents? What about the wicked servant? He did not love his master. Not at all. No. Good stewardship is a measure of our love for and trust in God. Good stewardship is a measure of our love for and trust in God. God. God wants us all to be productive, just like Jesus has been teaching all along here. Each day we've got a new opportunity to love him, to love others, to use our stuff in ways that bring glory and honor to him. No matter what that stuff is, whether it's stuff in common, stuff outside, our own personal stuff, whatever. Stewardship is a lifestyle. It is not an event. It's not a one-time thing. I know we're going to have this generosity campaign starting next week. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. We have to do those things from time to time. But that's an event. That's an event. I'm asking you to consider lifestyle. Lifestyle stewardship, not just an event. Because it reveals our view of God and our heart for God. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with A.W. Tozer. Tozer wrote a number of books most of them extremely good. If you find any, read them. They're great. But this is probably his most famous quotation ever. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. <laughs> Go back and read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, how we view God determines how good of stewards we're going to be. How we view God is going to determine how good of stewards we actually are. Now, Jesus sums up what it means to be a good steward. We see that in Matthew 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has sowed over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Do you remember the parable of talents again? Go back and look at that one more time. He said to the five-talent servant who was stewarding a hundred years' wages, 
Thank you for being faithful in a little thing. Now I'm going to put you over much. Did you get that one? Wow. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Also, that parable of talents, the owner went away for a long time, it says. Who else has been gone for a long time? Jesus has been gone for a long time. So, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be doing stewardship. Yes, we all have been given different gifts. There's no question about that. But we are all called to steward them, no matter what. You know the parable of the talents again. They're all given different things. It's not a matter of what you're given. It's a matter of faithfulness. It's a matter of faithfulness. Those two good stewards, they were given five talents and two talents. But what did they say? What, was, what did the master say? To both, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter in to the joy of your master. It doesn't matter how many talents we've been given or haven't been given. It matters the faithfulness, our faithfulness. That's what's really important here. Now, being a careful steward is all about relationships in our heart. But I want you to remember one thing. See this word down here? Doing? It's a verb. We are called to act. Stewardship can't be only on our head, only in our heart. It's got to be in our actions. It's got to work out in actions. So, I've got for you a challenge. I call it the 10-minute challenge. It's for you, everyone who's here, everyone online as well. Anybody can do this. All I'm asking you to do is take 10 minutes this week. In the first five minutes, sit down and make yourself a list of all of God's blessings in your life. I know you won't be able to get all of them in there, but think about the relationships, for example, that we've talked about, a relationship with God, relationship with others, relationship with stuff. Think about those things. Write them down. Then take five minutes and present your requests, your list to God, and go over them with him. Ask him, how's my relationship with you? Have I got any blind spots when it comes to relationships with others? What needs to be fixed here? How am I using the stuff you've given me? How am I using the stuff you've given me? Then I want you to listen carefully. Listen carefully. And then I want you to act. Do what he says. You may get a new insight or two. I don't know. I have no idea. But I know God is interested in your stewardship. I know he's interested in that. His word tells us he is. You might find yourself looking at relationships entirely differently, entirely differently if you go through this challenge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings you bestowed on each of us. They are truly countless. Our finite minds can't comprehend all of them but I pray you will help us recall many of them as we go through this week. Help us to think about our relationship with you, your son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Help us see our personal relationships as gifts from you. Help us to understand that whatever we think we own is not ours, but yours. Help us remember that when the great audit comes, we'll be asked to give account of our total stewardship. 
we see today that love is at the heart of stewardship. So careful stewards also need to be loving stewards. Help us to be loving stewards, Father. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, if you arise for today's benediction, you know what the word benediction means, right? Good word? Okay. Here is the good word for today. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 to 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Go with the Lord this week and be a blessing to God, blessing to others, and consider how you use your stuff. Thanks for coming this morning.